Um, I don't always title the sermon, but uh, I want to publicly say from here on, Brother Tim has the right to change the title of my sermon anytime he wants to because uh, he changed the last one to push away the pork chop. And that was way better than what I had. So you can change it anytime you want to. So tentatively, I would title this one Destroying Shame. And I want to talk to you this morning, uh, mostly out of 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter, but I will be flipping a good bit so you can uh, either flip with me or have uh, your uh, pen and paper ready. To start with, in 1 Samuel, the 20th chapter, you don't have to flip over there, but I want to read you something here. I want to talk to you this morning about a man named Mephibosheth. Now, that is a difficult word to say, and it's uh, especially difficult for me because when the children were younger, uh, I would teach them this story at home and about Mephibosheth. And one, of the day, one day we were riding down the road, and one of them said, very small now, she said, Dad, uh, uh, tell me again about Metashefi. And um, it, I was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, and so it kept on, kept, yeah, you know about this guy and that guy. And so for a while there, uh, just for fun, we just always referred to him as Metashefi, right? So if I say Metashefi, it's out of habit, okay? But it's Mephibosheth is who we want to look at today. But before we get to Mephibosheth, it's important that we back up a little bit and lay a little bit of groundwork because the Bible is a full counsel, right? It is the full counsel of God's Word. One of the greatest mistakes that you can ever make when you're studying the Bible or when you're formulating a belief or some sort of doctrine is to take pieces of the Bible and build it off of those, right? It's important that you have the full counsel of God. And not only um, that, you will miss some riches and great treasure in some of the accounts of the Bible if you do not back up and understand some of the history that happened before these events. So everybody's very familiar probably with King Saul, right? King Saul had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan had a friend um, whose name was David who would later become King David, if you remember those accounts. David and Jonathan had a very special relationship. Uh, the Bible describes their friendship as being just really above and beyond uh, any friendship that most of us probably ever experience. A very deep friendship. You know, their hearts were knit together. And in 1 Samuel, the 20th chapter, Jonathan and David, as, as younger men, they make a covenant with one another. And in 1 Samuel, the 20th chapter, is where we read about that. And this is Jonathan speaking. And in verse 14, Jonathan says, And thou shalt not only while yet I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from me from my house forever. Know not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one of them from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies, and Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So what I want you to see very first is Jonathan and David are establishing a covenant here. Yeah. And the covenant is basically this. Jonathan is saying to David, John, uh, David, if I die, okay, if I were to die, promise me, make a covenant with me that you will see to and take care of my house after I'm gone. And so David swears to that, saying, okay, if you die, I'm going to take care of you here and now. But if you die or if I die, let's take care of each other's families. Right? That's the covenant that is made with them. Now, Jonathan's father, King Saul, 
uh, was a king of you know highs and lows, mostly lows, right? Um, if you remember that um, uh, he was told to wait at one point uh, for Samuel to come talk to him, and he rushed that and did it his own way, right? And there's another sermon another way. You will always be better off to do it God's way Amen. than to do it your way, right? right? Uh, a lot of the troubles and turmoils that we have in our life is simply because we tried to do it our own way. Right. And that, well, that was one of the afflictions of King Saul is that he tried to do it his own way, Right? Uh, another problem was the, Philist the Israel is in uh, battle and war and combat with the Philistines on and off throughout uh, um, King Saul's reign. And King Saul worries about it, right? He worries about, you know, how is this going to pan out? And so there comes a point that he goes after the prophet Samuel has died and King Saul goes and consults a, a witch, Somebody that deals in witchcraft and he asked her, can you please bring back the spirit of the prophet Samuel so he can tell me what to do, right? And so many of the things that, that King Saul did displeased the Lord and there comes a time that the Lord uh, through the prophet, the spirit of the prophet Samuel who has been dead tells King Saul that the Lord is displeased with you and he's taking your kingdom away from you. Right. And he says, tomorrow you and your son are going to be with me where I am. Or where was Samuel? Samuel was dead and in heaven. Right. So he's telling King Saul, hey, you're going to be dead tomorrow. And your son, you're going to go into battle and you're going to die. Right. So and that's exactly what happens. So after the time uh, that these events are taking place, what you find is King Saul has died. The king of Israel has died. They are in uh, constant defeat and in constant battle with the Philistines. And not only that, now Israel itself is in its own civil war, right? Israel is fighting amongst themselves. So it's a terrible time to be in Israel. Now, all of that is just some history, but it lays the groundwork for something that is beautiful. And I want you to see that here. So in, uh, let's go in 2 Samuel in the fourth chapter. Again, I promise you I'm getting to 2 Samuel 9. In 2 Samuel, the fourth chapter, word gets back that the king has been killed, that Jonathan has been killed. And in 2 Samuel, the fourth chapter, it says in verse 4, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. When the news came that they'd been defeated, the king is dead. The next in line is dead. When that got back to the ears of the people, Jonathan's son was five years old. And when the, when the tidings came out of Jezreel about jo, uh, Saul and Jonathan, his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Okay, now we don't have all the story about exactly how that happened. Maybe as she picked up this five year old and ran, maybe he fell and broke his back. Maybe he was paralyzed from the waist down. Maybe he just broke both of his legs and, and never really uh, fully healed the way he should have. For whatever reason, uh, I do not think there's a single word in the Bible that's there on accident. And I think it's very important that the Bible tells us that Jonathan's son was lame. Right. He could not get up and move about. He could not. He was very dependent on everybody else. Now, let's go to second Samuel nine. Now, the best that I can figure out 
from the dates and the things that we have in the Bible. Mephibosheth was five years old when he had an accident and he became lame. He is about 20 to 25 years old when we read about the events in 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter. Now, so let's read through here and notice this. It's interesting that the name Mephibosheth actually means destroying shame. That's where the title comes from, destroying shame. Um, so in 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter, maybe probably 10, 15 years after Mephibosheth has fallen, it says, and David said, is there, any, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, at this point, I want you to understand, at this point, David's line of thinking has nothing to do with Mephibosheth. David's thinking, I made a covenant with a man named Jonathan. And it is for Jonathan's sake and for the sake of that covenant that I'm about to do what I'm about to do. He says, is there any left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sakes? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, are thou Ziba? And he said, thy servant is he. And the king said, is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him. I don't want you to miss that. David's actions right here, he is self-proclaiming that I am about to imitate God. I'm about to display the very same thing that the Lord displays. Because he says, I'm going to show or imitate the kindness of God to whatever this person is you're telling me is a remnant of the house of Jonathan that I made a covenant with. And the king's, and, and in verse, uh, it says, the, the, he, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil and Lodabar. I also think it's interesting that the, 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 the meaning of Lodabar means a place of no pasture. Okay? So you've got this man named Mephibosheth, this young man who's lame on his feet. And listen, it's not like it is nowadays. Okay? When you were lame back in those days, it was, it, it was not a death sentence, but it was real close to it. You were totally dependent on everybody else. You know, there, there was no eagle's wings back then. Right. That's why you find the lame people sitting at the gate of the city throughout the New Testament begging. They were beggars because they couldn't work. And, and if they did not have any family to take care of them, that was the end result of it all is that you sat there and begged. It was a terrible thing to have happen to you. And so Mephibosheth is in a very fitting place called Lodabar, a place of no pasture. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Emil, from Lodabar. Notice that word fetch there. That word fetch there means to lay hold of or to apprehend. Who do you think David sent over there to get him? He sent his soldiers, right? Well, so how do you know that he didn't send some kind, gentle, old maid servant to just say, oh, okay, come on, Mephibosheth, it's time for us to go see the king. Because it says in verse 7, 
And when Mephibosheth gets there, let me read verse 6. It says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. Now, what state of mind is Mephibosheth in at this point? He's terrified. He's not giddy and joyful. He is terrified because the next thing David tells him, and David said unto him, he says, Fear not. Now, why would he say that if Mephibosheth came in and he was all smiles and giddy, right? Mephibosheth is brought in before the king. He falls down on his face and he, he, he begins to reverence the king and he's probably trembling. And David says, fear not. Amen. Boy, that's a beautiful picture of Christ, is right. it not? Right. He says, fear not. For I will show thee kindness, not for your sake, Mephibosheth. I will show you kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake. See, there's a covenant that's being remembered. And I will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Boy, there's a lot of preaching in that one there too. You don't see a whole lot of that spirit in God's people today. You see a lot of God's people thumbing their jackets saying, I am somebody. But brothers and sisters, when you realize you've been a beneficiary of the king, that is the response we should have. Amen. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring him in the fruits, and thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall now eat bread always at my table. And he goes on and says, As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both of his feet. Please tell me we all can see how the covenant of Jonathan and David And the faithfulness of David to keep that covenant destroyed the shame of a man who was lame living in a place of no pasture. Please tell me we can see that. How do you think Mephibosheth felt as he sat before the king? One day he's sitting over here in Lodabar, a place of no pasture, probably as a beggar, probably worried sick about what his future is going to hold. The next thing you know, the king's servants are at his door. They're apprehending him. They're fetching him. They didn't fetch everybody. They fetched him. He sent his soldiers for a specific person, and they brought him to the king, and Mephibosheth is terrified. He falls down, and as the events play out, he finds himself going from Lodabar to sitting at the king's table continually. That makes me want to cry just thinking about that. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. Shame was destroyed. Now, how does that apply to us today? Jesus says in the New Testament, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. You go back to the very beginning of Genesis and you read the Bible from front to back, even the Old Testament histories. Jesus himself said, those are the things that point towards me. You find Jesus all through the Old Testament, right? Now, 
Saul's sinful ways. Follow me now. Saul's sinful ways brought a great burden on Mephibosheth. Why was he even having to get up and flee as a five-year-old? Because the sins of, of Saul, right? His grandfather. That's the very it's Saul's fault that John that, that Mephibosheth was involved in the fall to start with, right? But there was a covenant made, and because of that covenant, Mephibosheth was the beneficiary and sat at the king's table, right? Let's go to Romans, the fifth chapter, for just a well, let Let's go to 1 Samuel, the 23rd chapter. Now, I want you to notice this. Let's talk about covenants between Jonathan. We've been talking about covenants between Jonathan and David. I want to talk to you about a covenant that was made before the foundation of the world between God the Father and Christ the Son. And if you can understand Mephibosheth and Jonathan and David, you can easily understand this. In 1 Samuel, the 23rd chapter, I want to get verse 3 to... Uh, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter. 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter. I'm going to start in verse 3 here. Now, this is a prophetic message being spoken through King David. But there is no question about who is in the conversation right here. Because in 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter, verse 3, it says, The God of Israel, that's a big G. That's not talking about David. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel. Who's the rock of Israel? Jesus Christ, Amen. right? The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. This is a conversation between God the Father and Christ the Son. Amen. He said, he that ruleth over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. Notice verse 5. Although my house be not so with God... Yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although we make it not to grow. Do you see a covenant taking place here? Yes. There's a covenant, just like with David and Jonathan, there's a covenant between God the Father and Christ the Son. And Christ the Son is talking to God the Father and it says, You've given me this house. Again, that's another sermon for another day. But when you read through the New Testament, how many times do we see all of God's people referred to as all those that the Father hath given me? You see, God the Father gave them to His Son. And Christ looks at the Father in this conversation and says, My house is not so with you. They're not right with you. They're ruined, sinners, condemned, unclean. But a covenant was made. A covenant was made between God the Father and God the Son that if God, if Christ the Son would go down, condescend to the men of lowest state of this earth, sacrifice himself for them as a perfect lamb, spotless, without blemish, and offer himself to God on behalf of those people that the Lord would accept it. And he would put away their sins as far as the east is from the west. That's the covenant we're talking about right here. Right. Now, Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. There is no time limit. It is ordered in all things and it is sure. There is no uncertainty in this covenant. 
Christ the Son is not pacing, wondering, will this covenant be fulfilled? He said it's sure and it's kept. Now, the covenant was made. But in Romans, the fifth chapter, for the sake of time, I'm going to flip quickly and read. In Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. Do you know why we get old and feeble and why we die? Do you know why we were involved in a fall? Because of the sin of our father, our forefather, Adam. The Bible is clear about that. Do you remember that uh, the Lord gave him, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt surely die, right? There was a law given there and the sentence of it was death. But the Bible tells us that, that Adam was kicked out of the garden and the entrance was sealed so nobody could go back in and eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil again. Yet men still continued to die because Adam's fall affected us all. Just like the fall of King Saul and his disobedience affected Mephibosheth. How do I know that that's true? I don't have time to go into it, but read Psalms 14, read Psalms 53, read Romans 3, read 1 Corinthians 2, 14. Read about the condition that we were in as fallen, ruined, condemned sinners. The Bible describes us as being dead, not lame, dead in trespasses and sins. That was the result of that fall. But for the sake of the covenant God had with His Son, you know in Ephesians 4.32, what does it say? Be ye kind one to another. Listen to this. Forgiving one another. As God for your sakes? No. As God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Right. Why is it that we are beneficiaries of forgiveness? It's not because of what we did. Why is Mephibosheth sitting at the king's table forever because of a covenant made before Mephibosheth was even born probably. And the covenant that God made with His Son, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. David went and fetched Mephibosheth. He laid hold on him. He apprehended him. What does Paul say? What does Paul say in Philippians? He says, I am apprehended by Christ. Christ laid hold of me. He fetched me. And brothers and sisters, we are just like Mephibosheth. If you have ever been to the point in your life where the the magnitude of your sins comes over you, you realize the goodness and the grace of God. There is some measure of fear and trembling and a falling down before the King of glory saying, I'm a dead dog. But for the covenant's sake, the King says, get up and come sit at my table Continually, The Bible tells us in Ephesians, the first chapter, it says, according as He hath chosen us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Listen to this, having predestinated us unto what? The adoption of children. David told Mephibosheth, he is going, you are going to sit at the king's table as one of the king's sons. You see, he adopted him into his family. Now, let me close with this. As a result 
of the covenant that Jonathan had with David. As a result of the king apprehending Mephibosheth, as a, he brings him back to him. He sits him at, his, at the king's table continually. I wonder at what point that became real to Mephibosheth that I'm one of the king's sons. The Bible tells us in Romans, the eight chapters, that the spirit beareth witness with our spirit. The spirit of God beareth witness with our spirit that we are sons of God, or children of God. And notice this, it says, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You think when Mephibosheth, when it dawned on him, I'm an heir of the king and I'm a joint heir with all of his sons. Why am I here? I am here at the king's table because a covenant was made that didn't even involve me to start with. And because the faithfulness to carry out that covenant, that's why I'm sitting here. This doesn't really have anything to do with me. And I've said that to you before. Salvation is for us, but it is not about us. Salvation is about the work of Christ and the covenant made with the Father. What's the conclusion of that? That brothers and sisters, our shame has been destroyed because of the covenant that was made, because of the faithfulness of those to carry out the covenant, and the work of the Spirit of God in apprehending us, as Paul says, and making us His own, and adopting us at children, as children, and sitting us at His table continually forever, because the covenant that they made in 2 Samuel 23 was an everlasting covenant. I hope that's been profitable to you. Please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.